Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope this week's message finds you doing well, even as the summer winds down and we look forward to a fall full of question marks and unknowns, but hey, we're going to be fine. Guys, on Sunday, uh, we wrapped up a series at The Story, a series of sermons called Slow to Anger, Making Peace in the Culture Wars. And this week, uh, we're wasting no time jumping right into a new series of messages called In the Image of God. Um, And we're going to be focusing these conversations on the sanctity of all human life. And so it's going to feature six very important conversations for the times that we're living in right now. We're going to be talking about some pretty heavy subjects. Uh, We'll have a conversation about abortion, um, one about immigration. We'll have one about gender. We'll have a conversation about racism. And if you're worried about being offended or upset or challenged in some way by this series, you should be (laughs) because the Bible leaves no one's politics or political opinions unscathed. We all face some challenges when it comes to reconciling our opinions or our beliefs about issues with what the Bible says is true. So um, you're not alone if you're concerned about that. Just imagine being in my shoes, the one delivering these messages. But I do hope you'll be sure to check out the beginning of In the Image of God this Sunday at thestory.church slash watch, or of course on the story's YouTube channel or Facebook page at 845, 945, and 11.05. Speaking of racism being one of those conversations, it's also the subject matter of the latest episode of the Maybe God podcast, which is scheduled to be released sometime today. Uh, For the episode, I interviewed Dr. Esau McCauley, a Wheaton College professor of New Testament who also occasionally writes op-eds for the New York Times. As an African-American who grew up in Alabama in the Deep South, as well as a Christian scholar who earned his PhD while studying under N.T. Wright, McCauley has quite a story to share. It's truly compelling. There's other surprises in the episode as well. The Maybe God team put in a ton of work on this episode, so I do hope that you will check it out at maybegodpod.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a glowing review. That helps us get the word out about Maybe God. Now, the question of race uh, in the Bible is a complex one because the concept of race itself, as we know it, uh, didn't exist in Bible times. The idea of race really emerged along with the rise of the European colonization of Africa and the Americas, as well as with the intercontinental slave trade, as well as with Darwin's work, frankly. So when the Bible differentiates between people, it's almost always doing it differently than we would today. When the Bible differentiates between people, it's almost always in reference to a certain group's nationality or their religious identity, and never just about their different skin tones. So we know for sure that the first Christians were um, basically olive-skinned Jewish people from the Middle Eastern regions. Uh, It took about a decade's worth of breakthroughs for God to finally convince the Hebrew Christians that his vision was much bigger than any one nation or race. 
One of the earliest and most important developments is recorded in the eighth chapter of the book called Acts in the New Testament, when Philip, a follower of Jesus, met an Ethiopian eunuch on the Gaza road. And in his telltale, high-pitched voice, the eunuch asked Philip if there was anything that could stand in his way of being baptized. And I don't think it was a rhetorical question. I think he really wanted to know if being the man that he was disqualified him from following the man that Peter was telling him about. And the truth is that any of the eunuch's distinguishing features could have been enough to preclude his being baptized. Baptism has always been a huge deal for Christians. It's our primary rite of initiation into the church. The one who is baptized in Christ belongs to Christ. And if baptized, this man would have become the first Ethiopian Christian, the first African Christian, the first Gentile Christian, the first castrated Christian, and of course, the first black Christian. That's why few people would have blamed Philip for passing the buck in response to the eunuch's question. He could have echoed the tepid sentiments of a polite but indecisive preacher. You know, Mr. Eunuch... <laughs> I just need to take this and, and pray on it for a few days and I'll just get back to you. Is that all right? Or he could have uh, channeled a politician's empty rhetoric and said, let me take this matter back to the church council in Jerusalem. And if we have the votes, I'll gladly baptize you someday. Or he could have spoken like a true Methodist and said, I'm going to look into forming a committee on the baptism of castrated Africans. And, you know, I'll let you know what's decided, but it is a committee that doesn't exist yet. So it could take a few years. <laughs> Sit tight. Philip said none of those things. Thank God. Instead, he stopped the chariot and walked toward the water with the awestruck eunuch a few steps behind. They walked into the water as perfect strangers, a Jew and a Gentile, an Israelite and an Ethiopian, an olive-skinned disciple and a black-skinned eunuch. Everything changed, however, the moment Philip plunged his companion's mutilated body beneath the surface of the water. The tally of things that they held in common grew only from zero to one, but their sole commonality was enough to shape two strangers into brothers eternally bound by the blood of Jesus. The eunuch asked Philip, what can prevent me from belonging with Jesus? And Philip gave the most eloquent, compassionate response. Nothing. Five chapters later in Acts, Luke, the author of Acts, introduced us to a Christian named Simeon. In the most awkward way imaginable, this is the quote from uh, Luke 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now if you look closely to that passage, you'll notice that Simeon is the only person listed with a nickname, Simeon called Niger. The word Niger literally meant black guy. So Simeon was black. And this is where things get a little awkward. But only because in post-enlightenment, post-slavery, post-segregation America, we rightly frown upon the use of race-based labels, stereotypes, and even nicknames. 
Life in first century Mesopotamia was different, I suppose, because Simeon didn't seem to mind the other Christians calling him the black one. What's more interesting is how this name is, this nickname is a pretty solid clue that Simeon was the only black Christian at the time. Why would why else would they would they call him what they called him? I imagine it started something like this: a conversation between two Christians, well-meaning but perhaps insensitive. Christian A said, "Have you met Simeon yet?" And well-meaning but perhaps insensitive. Christian B said, "No, which one is he?" And Christian A says. Simeon, the black guy. And Christian B says, oh, the black guy, yeah. And thus, Simeon became Niger. Here is the really crazy part. Multiple first and second century Christian sources suggest that Simeon, a.k.a. Niger, was the eunuch who Philip baptized. A church father named Irenaeus connected the dots for us. In a quote from the early 2nd century, he wrote, This man, Simeon Bacchus the eunuch, was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he had himself believed, that there was one God preached by the prophets, but that the son of this God had already made his appearance in the human flesh and had been led as a sheep to the slaughter, and all of the other statements which the prophets made regarding him. Listen to this. It is very likely that Simeon, from Acts 13, was the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, and that this fraction of a man, who was barely more than a slave, this man whose emasculated body was condemned by scripture in the Old Testament, it says anyone who's cut off in the way that he was does not belong in the community. This man with the voice of a woman, this black man who spent his life on the outside looking in, this lovesick man who asked, well, what's to prevent me from being baptized, emerged from his baptismal waters and took the gospel to Ethiopia, introducing Jesus and his gospels to the African continent. And today, as I speak, there are more Christians on the continent of Africa than there are people in the United States of America. Experts predict that Africa will soon overtake the United States as Christianity's epicenter worldwide. By 2025, there will be 633 million African Christians. 633 million African Christians. 633 million people who can trace their soul-saving, personal relationship with their creator all the way back to one man who sat in his chariot wondering if he would ever belong with God. That's the difference Jesus makes. He can't be contained by any category or culture. He won't be restricted by any race or religion. He is big enough for everyone to belong. How did the Bible gain such a reputation for being oppressive and racist? I can't be sure. But when you cut through all the noise and go straight to the source, it's clear. According to the Bible, everyone who wants to belong, belongs. Show me a more diverse movement than that. Show me a more inclusive message than the gospel. Show me a better story than the Bible. You can't. It doesn't exist. The Bible stands alone. 
Amen. All right, y'all, that's it for today. Be sure to check out that new Maybe God episode that's dropping today and be sure to share with all of your friends online. And then I'll see you this Sunday for online worship at 845, 945, or 1105. I love y'all. Have a great weekend. Bye.